You're listening to Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. All right, so one of the things that has been top of mind for me is how the space of NGOs, uh, is, you know, the ecosystem itself is coping. Um, also, for many, for many, many reasons. I, I reflect on that because I know even before COVID-19, for the past, say, five years or so, they, 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 it's been a struggle. It's been a struggle to run an NPO. It's been a struggle to run an NGO. And uh, many that I spoke to uh, during that time had to go outside of the country to get, you know, the kind of funding that they needed to continue with their work. And it got quite complicated, sometimes quite political, um, because their agendas had to be tweaked a little bit to to coincide with what uh, those people who were funders wanted and so on. So the space got quite complicated. It was quite difficult to raise funds and so on. And I'm now thinking about it and I'm thinking, oh, wow. Everything has changed now. Not only are those people obviously going through their own struggles, but now the space, the space is suddenly also flooding with everybody who wants to gather something and call themselves an NPO. What does that really mean for the sector? And also those international donors have their own problems now. So what does that mean? Dr. Yul Derek Davids is a chief research specialist at the Human Sciences Research Council, joins me now on the line. And also Dan Tabete, who's a project coordinator at Sangoten, who is South, which is a South African NGO network. They're also uh, on the line with us. And I want to thank you, gentlemen, both for, for joining us. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Pimelo. So, Dr. Davids, let me ask you, first of all, when you look at the sector as we sit right now, is it healthy? Oh, that's a very difficult question to say. But if you look at the fact that, hi, good afternoon. Um, I mean, if you look at the the fact that in uh, 2015, um, there was approximately 140,000 NGOs. But currently, it's estimated it is well over 2,000 NGOs. So this is a, a massive increase of over 200%. So one has to beg the question, what are the function and what are the various NGOs doing? However, we all know in the current situation is that there is a need for these NGOs to play a crucial role. Um, of course, um, there are quite a number of NGOs that we can classifies healthy and others that Sorry, are just repeat that, classify as? Oh, what, one can categorize them as, let's say, healthy and well-functioning okay. Okay. Um, because of, you know, good funding, but mm. also because of good structures yeah. and good operations. However, there are those who are struggling, and most of them are struggling because of lack of fund funding, but there's also lack of capacity and other mm-hmm. issues that one can ascribe, you know, the deficiencies of some NGOs too. Um, so, you know, there's a range and a mix of NGOs currently. So let me then bring you in, uh, uh, Mr. Tabete, and, and ask you, it's a difficult question to ask because one one is torn a little bit between the empathy and the purpose and the need for NPOs mm-hmm. and also whether it's necessary and and i'm really trying to be very sensitive about this whether it's necessary to have the 200 percent growth in the space that we've had the 200 percent growth why do we see a 200 percent growth instead of seeing a bolstering of those that are efficient 
Thanks, Pamela. Good, good day. Um, the growth that you see now, because if I, I follow your question, you're saying uh, with COVID-19, there's been a spring out of many other people who call themselves uh, NPOs or NGOs right now. So, so let me, I'm not, I'm not sure if it's about COVID-19. So that's, the, that's where you, the experts, are going to help me. Because um, from, from, from what uh, Dr. Davids was saying, this is now a look at between 2015 and now. So I'm not sure what has caused this 200% growth. Is it, has it been very recent, Dr. Davids, just to give us, maybe help us with the stats No, there? I mean, let, let's just look at this. I mean, uh, the NGO sector had to fill the gap. I mean, if yeah. you look at the current situation in South Africa, and it's coming a long time, um, one of the key things that we can highlight is there's a major lack of service delivery. Yeah. Okay. And many of the NGOs, uh, if you take, for example, in the Makana district uh, municipality in the Eastern Cape, mm. where NGOs played a crucial role in litigating the municipality in order to get access to services. So, you know, so community-based organizations, NGOs and NPOs, uh, they are filling a, a vacuum that's often not, you know, mm. delivered by sometimes by government services. Um, I've worked a lot with the community advice office sector where they, for example, deliver services to help, you know, people in far-flung areas, in rural areas, to obtain an ID, to obtain a social grant. Um, and to obtain other benefits and even to help with accessing rights. So this is not coming from uh, just the COVID experience. It is is a need, and it's a need particularly among vulnerable people in our country. Okay. So then, Mr. Tabete, then I suppose that's where you come in with the response to ask, um, if we then, then sit with what we've just heard from Dr. Davids, who says, of course, there is a need for lots of NGOs because there's been a massive vacuum, especially with delivery of services. So one gets that. At the moment, I'm looking at the the purpose and I'm looking at the delivery of some of these NPOs. It feels a little bit like there's duplication. Am I wrong? Mr. Tabete? You, hello. Are you, uh, uh, now you we can me? hear you. Thank you. Yes, yes. now we can hear you. Uh, I'm saying... There would be duplication. Mm. Partly, I would agree with that, but uh, because of the needs on the ground, mm-hmm. we have discovered that there is more mm. need, has been more need from years the 2015s up to now, yeah. due to the job losses, um, the poverty levels that are constantly growing. Yeah. There is a huge need for some intervention. Mm-hmm. So you'd find that there are people who that most of them that I, I interviewed would have started uh, just by providing a service mm. without having registered, without knowing anything about the organization. Mm-hmm. So as they go along because of the requirements for funding, then they would start to register NPOs because you won't be funded if you are not registered. Yeah. But that shows the growth in, in, in the statistics and uh, yeah. uh, number of, uh, of NGOs. However, mm-hmm. the impact... Is, is 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 not so much because of lack of funding, mm-hmm. but lack of funding is also um, related to lack of skills and capacity. Mm-hmm. Because people would just volunteer to do to help communities without 
proper skills. Mm-hmm. If I may compare with when we started in the 90s, early, uh, late, late uh, 80s to early 90s, yep. that's when I started to be involved. We were mostly professionals and some retired uh, mm. professionals mm. at the time. Mm. I remember the, I was in the youth work. Mm-hmm. I came from the church background uh, with my, uh, my, my, my profession and we worked with people like social workers and yeah. some teachers who were what called guidance teachers at the time. So we, most of all, were, were people who have been, had, had some uh, professional training at that time. And there, there was also a level of, in the leadership, where there were highly qualified people who were right after 94 taken on into government and the private sector took them. So there was a vacuum left of, of skills and, 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 and capacity in NGOs. However, the need was still there. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I chuckle a little bit, uh, Mr. Tabeta, because, in fact, an analyst was breaking, bringing this point up not so long ago with us, saying yeah. part of what is slightly problematic right now, and it's not because I think it was the intention, but when we came out of the apartheid era, and you can also jump in here, Dr. Davids, when we came out yeah. of the apartheid era, they had been, I mean, because it was so long, the struggle was so long, there had yeah. been what we call, I suppose, professionaliza- professionalization of the sector. You know what I'm saying? Where structures were properly set up, where there were actually people who were skilled and had gone out of their way to educate themselves in how to run these NPO, NGOs, so that they can be very effective. Okay? Now, what you have right now are a lot of volunteers who, as you said, have the right intentions. Dr. David said, because they are vacuums. Let me tell you what my concern is sitting where I'm sitting, is... How do we then navigate the space and not allow for abuse, not allow for mm-hmm. bogus companies to take advantage of the situation? And in fact, we've got a very recent example of how that can happen. Esidimeni is one of those cases. Yes, that's correct. Um, may I come? Yes, one of you can start. Let's say, Mr. Tabeta, you can go ahead and then Mr. Davids. Yes. Um, we... I think we as an organization that is a network, we are in, in, in touch with a number of organizations. Though we are not a membership-based, uh, the people that we, are, we work with um, subscribe to our, our portal, you know, online portal. So we are in constant communication with, with NGOs, and sometimes we organize conferences and, 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 and meetings. One big uh, tragedy that happened alongside the... the, the, the the, the, the outflow of, of professionals and professionalization of, of, of NGOs is the collapse. Uh, I put that in, 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 in converted commas uh, of the uh, Sangoko South African NGO coalition, mm-hmm. which was supposed to be the the, the watchdog mm-hmm. as well as the affiliative body, such as. Uh, you know, the unions, yes, uh, yes. Uh, uh, yeah, something like that for NGOs. Mm-hmm. Um, in the mid-2000s to 2010, we've seen a, a huge collapse of that big organization, which was supposed to be regulatory, you know, also, and also a stakeholder, which is perhaps in the NEDLEC, you know, social uh, structure. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying 
perhaps that is the the, the, the most uh, cause of the, mm. the 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 situation now. And if we can have a struggle resuscitation of something like that, where you have an association, a professionalization body, which is regulated, which uh, is recognized as well in 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 in, in, in some forums uh, of the civil society, that would. A guide against this situation where we've seen a, a lot of, of, of misconduct, a lot of corruption, a lot of uh, unprofessional conduct uh, in the sector. So, Dr. Davids, how yeah. do we guard against that? I mean, so we don't have that regulatory body anymore. It's not there. Yeah. I, 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 I have to tell you, the numbers give me chills when every single day you hear um, and and by the, these are good intentions by the way when you hear governments talk about relief funds and grants and all of these things and when you hear on platforms that are very underground social media platforms where people are mm-hmm. gathering themselves putting together NPOs looking yeah. for somebody with an NPO because this is the time now to do it I I mean I shiver so how yeah. do we guard against that Dr. Davids? Okay, there's two ways, I mean, that I would want to respond to that question. Firstly, um, we need to be very careful. There is a need, but it's a specific functional need for specific uh, issues. Yes. And we also understand the context of unemployment and what my colleague rightly put that it has become, in a way, an employment uh, vehicle as well. However, for those organizations that's currently operating, one needs to think about regulation, but not over-regulation also. Yeah. Because over-regulation, these are organizations mm-hmm. that operate very informally, yeah. uh, although they need to have structure. But over-regulation can also impact on their ability to deliver a service. So from the government side, there should be uh, streamlined regulations, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. In terms of organizational operations and in terms of boards, and there are definitely a need for skilled people. Mm-hmm. Now, to address those skilled people and to train volunteers, um, and I'm going to refer to the community advice office sector. Yeah. Um, now, the Cape Peninsula University of Technology have a paralegal degree, a bachelor's degree that they offer. Mm-hmm. Now, this is an attempt to provide training for people and volunteers working in the sector to get formal training as to provide services with regards to access to rights and other Mm -hmm. social and socioeconomic services. Mm -hmm. Now, in addition to that, um, the sector now trains those paralegals, but we also look at, you know, people already working in the sector and looking at recognizing the existing skills that they have, Mm -hmm. using that and then upskilling them. So Mm -hmm. at the same time, you know, while there's been training for the paralegals and for people working in the sector mm-hmm. uh, being offered, we also got to be acknowledging the fact that there's a debate about, you know, once you become regular, there are certain mm-hmm. responsibilities mm-hmm. and you also become in competition with, mm-hmm. for example, the legal practitioner mm-hmm. yeah. in the field. Yes. So the Department of Justice has a key role to play in making sure that, you know, there are defined roles because there are definitely defined functions. I mean, uh, the community advice sector and the volunteers work at a different space. You know, and, 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 and the formal legal sector, for that matter, is not always accessible mm. to the vast majority of people, for that matter. So, 
from that point of view, I would say that we need kind of legalization, formalization, but not to the extent to evaporate the service. What should mm-hmm. be done is that at the point of registration of these NGOs and, and, and NPOs, mm-hmm. that should be the key point of, you know, validating the organizations that's being registered and then continuous monitoring of these organizations, uh, making sure that they submit all their required documents mm-hmm. and making sure that they, you know, keep to the, the standard and the protocols. You know, um, I, I'm, you know. Go- I'm, I'm going to open the lines and I'll tell you why. Okay. I'm going to open the lines because some stuff has to add up. With, with what you know and the data that you've seen, Dr. Davids, and I really appreciate that you've given us that, that kind of perspective. I mean, 200% is quite huge uh, for, from 2015. And we also know that there are things that have happened in this time that warranted the increase of, of this kind of work, right? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, again, I also wanted to then ask you, uh, Mr. Tabeta, because where you sit also, you engage a lot with these people. Does the increase of the number of NPOs that have come into the space give an equal amount of effect? That's the question I want to know. And I wonder to what extent we've actually gone and checked whether has Mm -hmm. it actually delivered for the people on the ground? So has it been beneficial to have the number? Mm -hmm. Is it has it actually balanced the scale out? So we all know that we say we are doing it because there is a need, makes perfect sense. But on the ground, are people feeling the fact that we now have two hundred percent growth of NPOs? In fact, Pamela just wrote an article on our newsletter, online newsletter, this last Friday regarding that specifically impact of our work in, in, in societies that we are targeting. That is a very uh, challenge that uh, is faced by NGOs or NPOs, if I may put it like yes. that. The skill and practical uh, experience of doing that, of measuring the impact. In fact, not even measuring, the planning, you know, targeting the, 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 uh, the, the social investment, yep. return on social investment. Yep. Uh, that is a crucial one of the crucial needs just for sustainability of an organization mm-hmm. exposure to being able to be recognized and funded further or getting uh, partners Correct. We, we we are lacking there however they, those need those skills are there in in, in government uh, departments and this sector as uh, our honorable doctor has just mentioned uh, the, the the department of justice can work better if the uh, networking relations uh, amongst the department because it is linked to social services, to health services, to legal, even to environment and other, you know, departments. All these are supposed to be working alongside with the, the NGO sector. Mm. The, there is a need of, of, of fora where these meet because some of the, the experiences are already there. The, the, the people in, in the government department, they've got systems that could be shared, mm. you know, in terms of how these are done, how do they, 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 they measure their impact. I know, for instance, uh, in, uh, in the health services, there are well-structured systems for the, for the for assessment the, of that. Assessment, yes, of uh, yeah. 
the, the inflow in, the, in one particular clinic, uh, the, how they, 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 they service, how the impact is, 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 is measured. If I may just pause you there while we take a quick break, I'm going to ask you to just hang 10 if you don't mind. And I'm also going to open the lines to 0891-104-207. Your <laughs> on-the-ground experience, are you feeling the impact of the growth of the number of NPOs in your community is the question that I'm asking. Let me quickly go to Uzi Lesaku for the very latest in headlines. It's just gone 1.30. <laughs> Across South Africa, online and on radio. SAFM, let's talk. Thank you so much for staying with us. What we're discussing this afternoon is NPOs and the situation of COVID-19, what all of this means to them and how the current situation has affected efficacy has affected governance has affected all kinds of other things that go into that ecosystem dr derek davids is from the hsrc the human sciences research council he's a chief research specialist there and i'm also in conversation with dan tabete who's a project coordinator at the south african ngo network Uh, dr david let me just come to you let's talk about that impact assessment do we know how impactful the increase of the number of mpos has been since 2015 but there's very little research being done in terms of assessing impact. Uh, now, impact assessment in general is quite difficult to assess anyway, mm. but within the NGO sector, um, we've done one study in terms of the community advice offices, a cost-benefit analysis yes. study. Now, what we found was in this study, you know, we did a study in 2014 across five provinces in South Africa, and we visited about 20 community advice offices. So what we did was to ask them, you know, the community advice office manager and the volunteers working there, but at the same time, we also spoke to the clients visiting the offices. So we asked them, you know, what would you have paid for the service that you got today at the government department, for example, or a lawyer? So we costed that. So what we found was that, you know, in mm. essence, that these community advice offices deliver a service that's beneficial for the country, and it's mm. a cost-saving in terms of state-funded functions that, that must be delivered by the state. For example, what I've mentioned earlier about, you know, just helping a lady that cannot talk to fill in a form to get an ID, uh, limit the time spent at, you know, the Department of Home Affairs, for example. Mm. So that's a cost-saving. But more broadly speaking, um, you know, looking at impact and the question that you've asked, um, it's very difficult to say because uh, whether all these organizations are making an impact, okay? Mm-hmm. However, how do we say that a food parcel in a household is not making an impact where people are not working as opposed to a food parcel in a household where one person is working? It's, so, is, is that the question or yeah. is the question whether that food parcel actually arrived at Correct. the appropriate house? <laughs> so, so you know, it, it, it's extremely difficult, but to just answer, you know, just going a little bit back, but I'll come to this point. Mm. Now, for, for, and what my colleague mentioned is that for these organizations to, for themselves to man- monitor their impact is, is, is even more difficult because they're overloaded with work, they've got to yeah. service the people, and they seldom have time to do kind of case monitoring and keep record mm-hmm. in order to assess impact and to report to the funders and to, to, to the government if they have to. <laughs> now, that 
is, you know, where the skills training are needed. And that is where yeah. legislation must come in to make sure that when people are registering, that there should be certain stipulations with regards to, you know, the NPO itself, the NGO itself, what are the requirements in terms of impact? What are you going yeah. to put in place in order to make sure that the money you get is actually benefiting specific person and, the, you know, and the vast majority that you're serving, servicing. So that is the key issue. And if people don't, you know, meet those targets, there should be, you know, not penalties, but, I mean, they should either kind of improve and then all should be told to check up or, you know, if you're not using the money appropriately, it, it can actually lead to what you were alerting to, corruption, you know, yeah. uh, or maladministration. So... It, it's very difficult to now say close all the NGOs and NPOs. We really need to make sure that they deliver. And people yeah. have the responsibility, too, to report where NGOs are receiving food parcels and whatever assistance and not you know, distributing that accordingly. Yeah. Ndando, you've called us from the east, uh, from East London. Good afternoon. Thanks for calling. Hi. Hi, Camilla. You're speaking to Dando. Uh, I'm, I'm here in East London, and mm. my problem is that in my area, we used to have a few people that are homeless, about six. Mm. But now we've noticed that the couple, about eight to ten, okay. the number is quite ri- is rising. Mm. So we mm. decided to assist them, me and my friends, mm. to help to, to hand a, help, a helping hand. Mm. Now we collected money, and we wanted to buy them food. Mm. But now the police are telling us we can't hand them food mm. because we don't have a permit. Yes. And that's very mm-hmm. disturbing. Can yeah. you please assist us? I mean, we can't help a homeless. They, these people are homeless. They don't have anything to eat. And now a permit is stopping us. You know what's interesting, uh, Ndando? I, that's, the, that's exactly the conundrum. And I want the, both of my experts to come in here yeah. because here is Ndando who, as we said earlier, has all the right intentions in the world. Yeah. But I also want to ask Ndando before you go, bef- when the idea came to you, did you guys do the work in understanding what it is that you needed to do and and what regulations were in place in that? Because I could have told you that handing out food is actually illegal. Uh, there are some separations, and that's mm-hmm. been around for a long time. It's not a new thing. So did you do that work, Ntando? Not actually. We didn't because we just thought maybe if we, we have a group and then we give these people food, um, that would assist them. We didn't actually think that there would be no binding us or anything. Mm. And, and your intentions were so right. You know what I'm yes. trying to say? Your yes. intentions are so right. What then has that meant for you guys? Have you started registering yourselves? Are you doing the processes? Is it too long? What does it mean? Does it mean you're going to abandon the project? Mm-hmm. Uh, now that uh, we, we're in this COVID-19, we're actually thinking of registering and doing it this, uh, as, uh, as a is one of our projects mm. as an ongoing thing. Mm. So we're actually thinking of registering. But for now, we're kind of stuck because there's actually nothing that we can do up until yeah. all the paperwork is done. It's not all lost, Ntando, because what we yeah. don't want is, is to have someone like yourself with the empathy to then to lose that. You know what I'm trying to say? Uh, there, uh, there, is, there is that really difficult fine line where I, we, I don't think that you need to stop. You just have to sit 
do the homework do the homework uh, and see where there is capacity for you to do what is regulated don't uh, stop now but i think that's just the whole point of this discussion to say what needs to be done to, uh, put, to for someone with the uh, empathy that you have because we don't want to lose someone like yourself to uh, continue with your empathy and do the right thing so that those with the wrong intentions don't come and fill up that space uh, okay Doctor, do, 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 uh, you want to come in, uh, and, uh, Mr. Tabete? Yes, uh, what we are doing is Ubuntu, mm. we, neighborliness. We, we just when I started to do this, uh, it was just to help the kids on the street yep. who didn't have anything, yep. no facilities. It was a squatter area, no water, no nothing. When they came out of school, they were just standing on the street. Mm. So I had to collect them and do something. So at that time, it was. Not difficult because you we, we, we worked with the social with the local social worker, the school principal uh, and which is what I would like to suggest to 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 Dando and and, the, and their project mm-hmm. that's one option well that is uh, in, 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 in this uh, current situation is the social development yes. but there are people locally who are uh, in charge of the food uh, distribution the food parcels. Mm. Maybe to them to to help them with the permit. Yeah. The other way is our network because we have a database of people so on all provinces. If they contact us, so that you give them people who, who have the permit, who may have a permit, and then we they they, they help them with their permit. Uh, we could also make an agreement this for them to do a permit for them, maybe. And so, so help me out with 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 maybe this understanding because this is where I think there is where maybe there's a slight problem um, in in terms of coordination of efforts, right? So, so why is it? And maybe Dr. Derek, there's been some study in this. Um, I've got two issues here. Why is it that those who are already in the system, okay, invest so little in impact assessment studies? Because if you've been around for a long time, you know how important that is for going forward and sustainability and so on. That's the one question I have. And then secondly, why is it that there is such little coordination of efforts? In other words, why do humans and myself maybe, and it may be an ego thing, maybe it's just a really just purely an ego thing. Why do I as Pimelo feel the need? Someone would always say to me, um, so what are you doing, you know, to help the, the people? And, and I don't have to start an NGO, but there are a lot of people who feel the need to start their own thing, you know, whereas I may know four others that are doing a really good job. Why don't I just go and join them? Why, why does that happen in the sector? Uh, it used to be easy, I'm saying earlier in, in, in the early days. Today, it's not easy. People are not opening up. Okay. Those who are there, okay. I've realized that they are ah. not trust. They don't trust people. Ah, okay. There's a challenge of resources, perhaps, that makes people to want to do their own thing, and they suspect others that they are t- they take okay. their space and their glory, whatever. I get it. That's one of the challenges here. Sure. Dr. Dr. Derek, your, yeah, your take on back, it? Yeah, why people are not, you know, doing the impact analysis, mm. although they know it's important. Mm. Um, you know, all these organizations that we talk to about here, it's got a range of functions. Mm-hmm. And often the impact assessment is at the 
bottom of the <laughs> of the ladder, to put it that way. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's not urgent because, I mean, I can only make examples. Is if you have somebody at your doorstep that has been abused, yeah. that is the current urgent mm-hmm. attention that's needed. And yeah. that may take two days of your time. Mm-hmm. And then you, when you get back, your files are piling up. Mm-hmm. And when you get back, there's very little time to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but having said that... Um, it is important that one's got to look mm-hmm. at how we do that, how we coordinate that, and the organizations must take, you know, time to reflect. And mm-hmm. it's easy to say this, but if you're not going to do that and to see uh, where you can improve, uh, what is your annual turnover, what is your monthly cases, mm-hmm. uh, what type of cases did you have, you, you won't have time to plan. And you won't no. have time to assist your your effectiveness. Um, mm-hmm. So that's the ideal. Yeah. But I think we need to work towards that in order to deliver a service that's appropriate and a service that will make an impact. Um, and, and and there's very little to, to to say in terms of you know I, I want to come back to the issue about volunteerism mm-hmm. and this mm-hmm. is the nature of the process that we should not overregulate that people yes. are unwilling to help. I mean, mm. South Africa is a nation of, of Ubuntu, as my colleague saying, to help, to mm. stand right, you know. Mm. Um, so these should be built into the process, mm-hmm. uh, the regulatory process. Um, however, you know, if people, there should be communication, there should be coordination, and people should know it's not just money that we need, but I can offer my skills mm. from home. Mm-hmm. I mean, what the COVID virus should, you know, should, should, or the lockdown should teach us that there's many things that we can do from home. Mm-hmm. We can help an NGO to manage the books from home for, for, for in your local area. Mm. So these are the things that NGOs should reach out, talk to people in the community, because they alone cannot do it. I like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. they need to build networks. They need to yeah. work together. So instead of having Dando say, well, you know, we feel helpless and we our hands are tied, we can't do anything, maybe she is an accountant and maybe she can do that for another NGO, you know, in, in, in that sense. It's going to help. Yeah. But in the long term and in the long term to sustain the organization to have to feed more, mm. your skills is more needed yeah. in terms of managing the books. Yeah. I really like that. Let me just take some voice notes quickly to, st- to hear what they have to say. Greetings, Sister Pimelo. This is Simpiwe from Cape Town. I am the one of the people who have founded an NPO. I founded my NPO in 2018. The reason why I founded my NPO, I saw the need in the community. Not that I'm an opportunist. Not that I want to loot some money out of the funders. I have, um, my main funding is National Lottery Commission. It's the main funding. It's very difficult to find, to to found a, a, a funder. And it's very difficult to work with the with the government departments that are, are, are in our communities for example the minister of social development whenever she's speaking she said uh, we are going to work with our npos but that's not the case in our communities when you go to social development social workers are unwilling to work with you when you go to social development not anyone is willing to work with you actually thank you sister pemelo pemelo ngos play a very important role However, the NGO Act must be amended to make way for provisions of formalizations of the sector. But 
most importantly, one of the amendments should be that NGOs receiving more than a certain threshold of international funding must be registered as foreign agents, as this is a common practice in many democracies. Unfortunately, NGOs can be used as tools by intelligence organizations for infiltration and sometimes destabilization. All right, let me just take a last call, Nathan in Bombela. Just be quick for me, Nathan. I don't have much time. Good afternoon. Thanks for calling. Good afternoon, Madam Pamero, already. Okay, now, Madam Pamero, I wanted to ask those... Uh, those um, the guests. People. Because on the other side, eh, yes. if there is a crisis, you have to understand that there is a crisis. Eh? Mm. Does a certificate, after registering, does a certificate can help you not to acquire COVID-19? Because if a person has food and is supposed to supply that food, people are going to die of hunger. Mm-hmm. Why do you need a certificate urgently? <laughs> let, it, let us make it, if yes. you can manage, help the people. Afterwards, you can register. But don't make something as if they are politicians, you understand? <laughs> Very interesting point. Gentlemen, I'm going to ask you to wrap up quickly. And I I think it's such an interesting conversation. I think we can go on because there's a lot to talk about. Uh, Your your parting shots, Dr. Davids. Yeah. Look, I mean, thank you for the discussion. It was very interesting and and, and certainly, you know, I enjoyed it. But the point that I want to conclude is that, you know, one of the listeners mentioned the fact that NGOs can also be used as a tool to be negative, Mm. you know. Now, I think this is partly a responsibility of the community mm-hmm. to not interact or to be vigilant about these things. Mm-hmm. But I fully understand that this is what can happen. However, I do think the NGOs have a major role to play. We need to support them. But I think the way forward is to network and work together closely with the community. And, of course, we need government to kind of realize the important work and the benefit that they do have for us as a country. Uh, Mr. Tabete, your parting shot? Thanks, Pimel and Dr. David. Um, two points that uh, I want to use to wrap up. One is that uh, people in the NGO sector, the leadership would uh, recall or agree with me that uh, most of the funders, they don't like to fund operational costs. Mm-hmm. Yes, they don't. They only fund the project Correct. Cost. So in other and words, your office office costs are your problem, yes. Are your problem, yeah. which is what is affecting the yeah. skills yeah. and also the, 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 the impact assessment, or, you know, those kind of, of things. Such an because you have to rush to, to deliver and yeah. you must also submit quickly before yeah. the, the deadlines and stuff like that. Such an important no point because, in fact, we don't talk about that enough. That nobody, in fact, a lot of a lot of donors don't. They're not interested in your operational costs. So you yeah. can't pay an accountant. You can't pay a lawyer. You can't pay. No, you know, I, I so so get it. I'm going to ask if if I can just ask you so so kindly if we can just wrap it up here because we've run out of time. No. But I really want to thank you, gentlemen, for making the time to talk to us and and for delving deep in in what no. is as right now I think quite a sensitive conversation. Thank you very very much. Thank you. Yes. Uh, that conversation will be available as a podcast. Yeah.